Nah, not those lions. Three lions we can get behind. And he hoofed it. There's more pressure being ratcheted up with a loss like that, of course. Just getting the head boxed off, should that just kind of happen? For all your Lions coverage this summer, download the OTB Sports app. Rugby on Off the Ball. With Vodafone, lead partner of the British and Irish Lions. Yeah, you're welcome along. So uh, history doesn't repeat itself and all that. It most certainly rhymes. A 2-1 series win for South Africa in Cape Town. 19 points to 16 on Saturday. 37-year-old Mornay Stain uh, picking right up where 25-year-old Mornay left off. Brian O'Driscoll is with us evening. Hi, Joe. I do have that memory. I think it was on again for the billion time that uh, test where Mornay Stain kicks it in 09, the winning kick. And you, uh, with a slightly pained expression, are watching the flight of the ball. The camera picks you up on the bench, I suspect with a headache as well. And uh, much like in 09, I didn't really think he was going to miss on Saturday. Yeah, listen, that's what he was brought on for, wasn't it? His broke um, up winning out half. Um, Pollard was having a, an off day with the tee, missed his previous couple. Um, he did slot, maybe he did slot Cheslin Colby's um, try, but he'd missed a couple of penalties. And it's one thing that you can almost guarantee with Mornay. He's nerves of steel um, and he's been there before. And there's a reason that he brought him back in. You know, the... They usually go 6-2 on the bench and they played um, Willemse as the backup out half in the second test. But they just felt as though this one was going to be tighter and they might need a secondary um, goal kicker. And how right Jack Niederberg and, and Razzi Rasmus were because clutch, uh, clutch kick at a crucial time and 12 years on, yeah, history does repeat itself. Mm. So from a Lions perspective then, this was a very winnable game on Saturday. Oh, completely winnable. You know, they should have been not necessarily out of sight in the first half, but with a comprehensive lead. Um, you know, they as soon as Finn Russell came on, it was all them. Uh, it was the first time we've seen the box on the back foot. Their defensive line speed was struggling. They were at uh, the speed of the recycling because um, the collision winning started getting favouring the, the Lions. And so... It just had a negative impact on on that suffocating box defence. Um, and Finn Russell was playing aggressively to the line. They know that he's a threat himself, um, but he was using you know, runners inside and out, fizzing passes across the faces of some of his would-be uh, ball carriers to outside backs. And it was just, it was lovely to see. Um, and but unfortunately, and and you hear ex pros talking about it the whole time that the. the the differences between winning and losing at this level and it's taking your opportunities and it came down to that again and there were a few it's not as though it was one chance there were two clear cut clear cut try scoring opportunities that should have been tries that went to begging um and one from both bad decision but one you know Liam Williams doesn't need anyone to tell him that he, you know mm. he's got he can't throw that dummy that's Josh Adams in for a definite five pointer probably a seven pointer and then Tom Curry with that line out drive where he, he changes his bind and tries to take out Sia Khaleesi when he doesn't have to no. it looks as though no. it looks as though the Lions are, are going to rumble over there again they've got the momentum so if you look at that, on the half hour, that's where the Josh Adams no try happened. That's 17-3. Mm. The Bucs then have to change tack. They have to start chasing the game. And it's not something that they're accustomed to doing. And so how much of that, say, 
first 40, first 50 even minutes was down to Finn Russell and how much of it was down to things like suddenly winning a little bit of the, you know, the at, at the gain line with ball carrying? Because I suspect, you know, that's massively important too. And Dan Bigger is probably thinking, geez, if I had, you know, a, a team winning a few more gain line collisions, I would have looked a bit better than I have maybe as well. So how much of it was down to Russell, this different lines that we saw? Well, I think in reality, okay, it, it was the it was the Finn Russell game plan. It didn't wasn't like the the brand that the Lions had played for the two games and ten minutes before he came onto the field. Okay. So, um, it was it was almost that he tore up that um, playbook and went with what what he plays and, and what he plays is heads up rugby. What he sees in front of him, he's a space player. He's an instinctive player, and yes, he has the occasional. Um, mishap that can be very costly but more often than not he creates lots of space for himself and for those around him and he has defences sitting on their heels and that's the first thing that you got to do against the spring boxes make them question themselves defensively and they started doing that so I think you have to be honest about it and say that whether Dan Bigger was following protocol and, and playing to a certain game plan Finn Russell came in and, and decided that's not going to work and so something needs changing and I'm going to play the way I always play and it's flat on the line and with the ability to make decisions in hundreds of a second. And that's what differentiates him from himself from most other tens in the world is the ability to instinctively play what he sees yes. irrespective of what play has been called. So Russell comes on, it's my party, get with the programme or... I don't know, you know, tough luck. And and it's interesting as well that, I, and I presume this happens with any kind of playmaker in most sports as well, to be honest, you're probably that bit more inclined to make certain runs off a playmaker than you might be if you have a sense, well, look, my more steady Eddie's just going to kick the ball here. Well, I, I think it's a huge amount is to do with the depth that they take. You see, saw how flat Finn was. And that is the way to take on a, a rush defense it's not get back in the pocket it's actually trying to get as flat as possible and it, it kind of it goes against your natural instinct because you want more time on the ball but the whole thing is from a rush point of view is they want to be able to number up exactly who has who and as soon as you take it flatter and you start running across a little bit and there's runners inside and out it just puts an uncertainty into who the personnel you know you're meant to be marking up are and, and that's what he did brilliantly. He did also have his wingers very busy coming off his shoulder. We saw uh, Courtney Laws once or twice popping up on his, on his inside and his outside. So I do think that as soon as the lads saw him come on, they thought this isn't going to be like it's been previously. I don't think Finn is capable of playing that previous game plan that we have been playing over, over the last two test matches. We're going to play his way. And when you see him taking that flat, well, you've got to get flat with him because your first support player, if he does get caught in in uh, in a collision, you've got to be there to you know, clear rough ball, make sure you secure it. But there's a great chance, you know, with him that he's going to get offloads away behind back, you know, the backs of tackles. Mm. Um, he's going to throw the 50-50s. He's going to have that little chip and chase. So you've got to get there with him if you want to actually get involved in the game. Yeah. So it, I think it, it's probably, it's a natural progression when you see the personnel coming in. And God, and they look so much better for it. I mean, I think everybody was saying, why has it taken two test matches and 12 minutes for us to see this approach from the Lions? Especially when, if you looked at the way Gatland had been talking in advance of the series, and if you looked at some of the players he had picked, where he said that, you know, he wanted an emphasis on mobility. Why we hadn't seen it for so long is, I think, the massive regret anyone involved with the Lions will have on their very long flights home now. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think it will be um, a big regret because we did. It didn't have an awful lot of competition, but that third test, the, the brand that they played was considerably better than anything. Even in the victory in the first test, it wasn't good rugby. You know, it was ground out rugby, whereas that was entertaining rugby. It was stretching um, stretching them around the rook, but also stretching them out wide. They got them on the edges a couple of times when a little bit better passing, they could have been, they could have made more inroads. Um, but yeah, it was, um, everyone seemed a bit busier. You know, the wingers seemed to get an awful lot more touches. They were anonymous, the wingers in the first two games. How many touches did Watson get? How many touches did Hogg get? Um, Van der Merwe, you know, even though you know the jury for me is still out on him, at least he was busy though looking for work and trying to carry ball. And um, you know, he, he to me he comes across as more of a running back than a rugby player. You know, he he's destructive. You know what he's going to do when he gets it. He's not going to pass it. He might offload it. Um, but big physical teams will be able to match that. It's probably lesser teams that might struggle against them, but the, the box didn't. And I think that's why he couldn't impose himself on them because they were able to match mm. their physicality. They're used to guys of his size coming at them. And so Russell has been injured for the last month, really. So he couldn't have played in test one or two. Is it that just bigger isn't capable of, of playing that kind of game or he would need, you know, the coaching staff would really need to, you know, drill it into him. You have to play this kind of game. Did they have another option they could have used if it wasn't Russell to try and play a bit more rugby? Bigger can play a, a more expansive game. Of course he can. He does for Wales, has done um, for Northampton. He likes, you know, he can mix his game up really well. I don't think he plays as flat to the line as Finn Russell does, but not many do. Um, but the feeling is, you've got to remember, rewind back a month before Finn got injured, it was all bigger. It was going to, mm. Finn was, you know, was, was in, outside of Scotland, was one of the lucky ones to maybe, it was, you know, he got into this touring party. Probably he did deserve it. In my opinion, he probably deserved it. But ultimately, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a, a shoe in, whereas Dan Bigger was. And Dan Bigger was going to be starting the test match. It was about Dan Bigger or, own Farrell at 10, not yeah, Finn yeah. Russell, really. I suppose, I suppose what I'm getting at, though, is so Bigger is capable of that kind of rugby. And I take your point on Russell. I mean, very few people were advocating in advance of the third test. Geez, let's um, take out Bigger and start Finn Russell, who hasn't played in a month. I mean, it was very hard to foresee how well he'd play. But on Bigger, so he's capable of playing uh, a better, a better uh, game plan. And like it takes Russell to come off the bench and show, like, God, if we play this way, it's much better. So you kind of think between the coaching staff and between the senior players... How was it across the first two tests that they produced what they produced? And and that, you know, I, I don't quite understand that then. If, if bigger isn't the reason or the answer to that, then they've no real excuse for going as conservatively as they did. But they won the first test show. Yeah. You know, they won the first test playing that way. So they thought that they could limp across the line playing, get, maybe do the same again. Yes. Yeah. And they got their comeuppance in the second test in the second half. And then... The penny dropped as like we can't do that again in the third. Now they've got our number. We've mm. got to change things up. And I don't know. We'll never know whether things would have changed up dramatically with Dan Bigger. It didn't look as though they were going to in the first ten minutes. Um, but the fact that we got Finn Russell coming on that was that was the only way that we could guarantee that things were definitely going to change up because I don't know if he knows how to play any other way. Yeah, he can't kick the ball away. It's just it's not in him. And I think he'd prefer to go down fighting than than to you know, kind of capitulate on game plan. I Listen, he's had arguments in the past with, with uh, Gregor Townsend. They've kind of butted heads and he's you know, stepped out of the Scottish setup for a while. 
um, differing opinions and so on. So, um, you know, he's obviously um, hardwired in a particular way to to play a brand that's very hard to break away from. And um, it suits him down to the ground in Racing Metro because he's got, you know, these phenomenal players to play off him and play heads up. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it was it was lovely to watch. Mm. I, I love watching Finn Russell, but I do always worry a little bit. And he was great. And his goal kick, I was thrilled for him that his goal kicking was excellent. His game management was really good. Um, I know the Gats picked up at the end that you know he made an error, um, which kind of which which led to the pe- to the penalty that Mornay Stain um, knocked over, but. For me, you know, Finn Russell made that third test, and it's a it's a crying shame that the Lions couldn't actually get it done with all of their territory and all of the stats favoured in in on on their side. That somehow the box still found a way to get it done. Yeah. So possession and territory, they had sixty three percent. They doubled the number of carries, three times the number of defenders beaten. They had six clean breaks to two. They had eight offloads to four. I think they had six in the first half alone. Really, the only stat they lost on was the penalty count which they lost 15 to 12 and that's yeah. not insignificant but it, it boils down to your point again about taking chances like when Am and LaRue get that chance to set Colby away their execution is near perfect as opposed to yeah. those lines chances you mentioned to go 17-3 up yeah and there's like if you look at the, those there's a couple of really brilliant skills in that um, you know th- how much breaking ball did we see South Africa get on those on, on kick contests way way more than 50%, 60, 65, 70% over the course of the three games, I would say. It's definitely something that they practice, but also instinctively it feels as though they're ready to react to, you know, an, uh, a, a catch that isn't caught clean. Um, but Am's ability to read the situation really quickly, sidestep, pulls Price in and then offloads immediately. He sees that ahead of time. He's like a snooker player, a couple of shots out, that he knows exactly where to create the space. He's you know, people will say, maybe you should have shifted immediately. He knew he had the physicality to get beyond the tackle and get the offload away. And he was a, a very aware as to who was around him. And I thought that was brilliant. Billy LaRue, who I think, for me, is one of the weaker links in that South African team, but yet a brilliant, brilliant piece of skill in um, in um, the way he drew Jack Conan and um, you know, ran on his inside shoulder, wasn't, didn't allow him to push in any shape or form out to Colby. Not that I'm sure Jack Conan would have loved pushing out onto Colby anyway, um, but he drew him magnificently. And then unenviable task for, for Liam Williams to come across. And the, your main goal as fullback there is don't get smoked on the outside. And we know about Colby's hitch kick and acceleration but we also know about that step back on the inside. And, and you kind of hope when you're a fullback that you'll get enough of a shot for mm. the cavalry to come and, and clean it up. But he didn't get enough of an impact. And Luke Cowan Dickey didn't, um, you know, didn't get to him, didn't have the wheels to get to him. So it was a brilliant, brilliantly executed try. But um, but the Lions had their, their opportunities themselves as well. Like I, I went through the game in a bit more depth today. And... Like with, with only a few minutes to go, Van der Merwe had a brilliant opportunity to... It was granted it was down the five meter channel to draw stain and and put Bundiaki in and even in commentary not much was made of it um but he he did not he, at no point did he even consider it as an option and I think that's what you get you get some guys that are pure athletes and you get some guys that are pure footballers hmm. and it's the amalgamation of the two is where you get the really great rugby players but yeah. 
um, for me, th- there was, yeah, there was definitely other missed opportunities besides the ones in the first half. Yeah, fair enough. One last point on the game then, and then we'll go bigger picture. How did the turning down of points situation age? I, I guess, the, you know, the, <laughs> the blessing and the curse in some ways was that the first time they did, they scored try. And so they stuck with that policy. Yeah, and and so you'll be vilified if that doesn't turn into a try, you're turning down points. I, I, I was always a believer as a captain of taking the points taking points that are offered to you and you know we've talked on the show before about how a lot of the time you want your out half to come up and demand the ball to knock it over it's almost as if your your decision is made for you and you can of of course overrule them if you really feel the energy out there or you feel as though your your pack leader comes over paul o'connell will come over and say we want this in the corner we've got them on the rack on the line out drive you go okay grand that's 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 why you have a group of leaders together so you're 10 you're the pack leader you as a captain um maybe an influential back you know depending get together and um and they felt as though they had them on the moon they and, and they did early on um so when you have success it's very hard to then feel as though you take a backward step and go oh we'll only take the three when there's five or seven on offer again you feel as though, and, and if you think about it even with the like they should have gone over for a second mall try with with the tom curry uh, penalty hmm. so um i i can understand why they did but you know test match rugby is about just edging in front and three points sometimes is invaluable as it turned out to be. So yeah. I'm kind of torn on it. I, I think teams, modern teams go to the corner an awful lot more than I ever would have as a captain because I understand the magnitude of ha- of, of having a good goal kicker, a confident goal kicker and keeping that scoreboard nudging when your momentum is in your favour. Mm. And if you don't come away with points when momentum's in your favour you'll be made pay. Uh, to Gatlin then and this series, and look, we've touched on his approach a little bit already, but just to keep the ball rolling on that, here's Matt Williams on OTBAM this morning giving his take on uh, how Gatland emerges from this series. I think I saw it earlier on. Yeah. I think I saw it on. For, the, for the listeners, certainly like the selection, you know, that you end up with Elliot Daly at centre, for instance, in your first test match was off and you've got the likes of Slade and Ringrose sitting at home. So certainly selection, if that's, you know, the biggest thing a Lions coach can do, he got that badly wrong, was certainly one of the points Matt made. I think there was a few errors of judgment in the selection process, for sure. Um, I think that is an obvious one. For me, um, Henry Slade um, was, um, was a majorly missed opportunity because of the different components to his game that would have been well suited to playing against South African opposition. Um, and I said that last week, so yeah. I won't labor that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but, um, well, you can always listen retrospectively. You can always say, um, you know, you, you know, the personnel of, okay, it was unlucky not to have Win Jones, you know, involved early on, even though, you know, he'd a bit of a mixed game. Um, Simmons at eight looked pretty energetic when he came on for his 10 or 15 minute cameo in test three, even though Jack Conan went well, would, you know, would he have brought a different explosiveness that maybe the lions were missing? Um, you wonder about Ben Young's, you know, taking himself out of the equation. Could he have brought something that maybe was missing at halfback as well? So there's, there's factors for and against, um, in when you come to a selection process, um, I think the big one for me is 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 in some of the outside backs. I think Van der Merver isn't a test a Lions test uh, winger, in my opinion. Um, he was busy and and, is, and was hungry, but I, I think he's lacking 
something in 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 you know in rugby know-how department to really exceed at the very highest level and yet he's um, the only one they stuck with like he was the mainstay and I, I i just couldn't understand that it felt that really felt as though there was a real nudge from gregor townsend in that regard and i thought we did see his influence um over the course of um of the tour and you know, before the Scottish get on and say stop with the Scottish bashing, I thought obviously Finn was great and, and Watson was probably a bit hard done by not seeing more game time than his 15 or 20 minutes in the first test. Mm. Um, and Sutherland was not, you know, played well. So, you know, they're improving, but there's no way that, um, that you know, some of the personnel um, would have played as much game time, I don't think, if Gregor Townsend wasn't a, a big yeah pusher in those selection meetings could i and so like i put the charge to you against the coaching ticket and then you can tell me how it's far more complicated and more difficult in real time which i'm sure it is but like right from the off uh no combinations emerged in any of the warm-up games admittedly COVID didn't help on a couple of occasions but you think of you and robert say in 09 and suddenly different combinations are being built and boxed away in the lead up to the first test none of that happened here now i know they won the first test but still there was just a feeling of uncertainty about the whole thing. And then we were hearing reports of how in advance of the first test, all the coaches individually picked their own 15, say. And I think about four names made it into the middle of that Venn diagram, which suggested very muddled thinking. Like, what was the clear game plan here? How were the lines going to try and beat South Africa? And let's commit to that plan because we believe in it. And then we can pick personnel accordingly. Whereas, like, is it? Who's at nine? That kept flip-flopping. Do they want, you know, uh, structure? Do they want a bit of pace on the ball? And that seemed to happen all over the place. And then, as you said, they sort of get away with it the first test. South Africans' fitness is an issue. They just try and hold on tight and limp over the line second test. No real bravery about that performance in its approach. I'm not talking about physically. They get to the third test and then just by pure accident as opposed to design, Bigger gets injured. Russell comes on and says, come on, let's try and play a bit of rugby here. So, like... I kind of come away from the whole thing wondering, well, what was that about? You know, they didn't pitch up with their way to beat South Africa and work towards it. It was very like week by week. I don't really know what these guys are about. And maybe that feeds into your point about like Townsend having a big say in someone like van der Merwe. I don't know who had Gatlin's ear and who didn't. But I, I do come away from it wondering, how would I explain what the lines were about in that series? Kind of answering a lot of your own questions there. But Joe. Am, I, I, am I wrong? I'm with you. I'm with you okay. okay. on, on a huge amount of Right, that. okay. I really am. I, in in their defense, and I'm reading about you know Gaddy today and his, his comments afterwards about the necessity in four years' time, whether he's involved or not, um, that that the, the squad needs two weeks together before they go away on the tour. Right. And you have to understand, I, I can completely understand the, the the need for that, for uh, a chance to have two weeks of not focusing on a game of just looking at the structures of what you're trying to do come up of course they're going to bring a, a game plan but then you you have to understand that players won't play a game plan that that, that doesn't interest them so you have to have player buy-in and when you've got guys coming in at different times from the top 14 from the premiership um and um and it's you know these late arrivals then on top of it you have covid you've got guys getting covid people isolating it, it's I, I, you have to be um pretty understanding for the craziness of this tour and yeah. how none of it really allowed for them to properly get any cohesion at any stage so i do have huge sympathies for them 
Um, it's it's not been a good advertisement for the Lions, but yet they still somehow almost managed to win a series. And I think that's a pretty remarkable feat, all things considered. Um, it wasn't brilliant rugby. It wasn't very easy on the eye at all. But if they had managed to win at the weekend and just get, you know, get three points ahead of South Africa rather than lose by three, we would have almost forgotten a lot of that. Maybe not immediately, but in time. Because it's all about winning and losing, winning or losing of the series. Yes. And so I'm sure you were the same. Anyone I spoke to about the series at large didn't find it very enjoyable. You know, three turkeys of games. The third one was much better, but still, like even Murray Kinsley. I never really got into it, Joe. I don't know about you. No, like, never, I, never. Like, I yeah. wasn't, at no point was I like, you know, booking the TV and making sure that kids were in bed and that, no, I've, I've done my shift for the day. I'm now watching the game, sitting down, having dinner prepared, for, which would be the norm. Yeah. If I, you know, if you're not out traveling the country, you'd be sitting at home looking forward to every single game. There was, I don't know how many, I didn't watch that many live games before the test match. I, I watched them on catch up. I, um, yeah. And, I, well, and I, that's not, that's not normal either. No, I, I watched them all we were doing highlights and versions, so I sat through every minute, um, <laughs> which uh, I won't get back, I suppose. But so on that point then, because like 12 years ago, this isn't, oh, the Lions lost, because I know like lots of, I'm even seeing on YouTube, lots of South Africans are watching the, the videos here. It's amazing how the world has changed and they probably, I, I'm sure, see lots of bias. This isn't a, well, the Lions lost, therefore the series was bad. I mean, 12 years ago, it was an amazing, amazing series. You'd still watch those mm. games now when they're on. Phenomenal. And we know how that yeah. finished. So like Murray Kinsley even had ball and play time for this third I test. Saw this. Yeah. So 26 minutes. I'll, I'll lose the seconds because throwing lots of numbers at people is complicated on the radio. Third test, ball and play for 26 minutes. Uh, the Six Nations we just had, ball was in play for 38 minutes, 12 minutes more. And then the World Cup, 35 minutes. So 36 or 26 minutes, 26 minutes, that third test. And like that is not to mention the 17, 18 minutes we had of TMO chats in the second test. Like... A few things went into this, and I, 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 I'm really curious for your answer here. Is is rugby in trouble because of like the rules allow all this to happen? Was this just especially bad because of South African tactics, which they're entitled to play, but because of South African tactics, or was it like the pressure on the referees just kind of made this an especially bad advertisement for the game? Because like people are now looking at these three tests, saying, "Well, this is now like rugby is in trouble. Rug the the lawmakers need to deal with this. Are there are there laws they can change to improve the spectacle or or no? Um, I think this tour felt like a bit of a perfect storm of all of those factors um, that led it to being um, nothing like the event that we had hoped it would be because of our experience of. 12 years ago and the manner in which that test series was played with the physicality but yet really entertaining rugby at the same time yeah um so i i think there's definitely aspects of refereeing that world rugby need to um to pay serious heed to i think you know what happened in the second test simply cannot happen again with that level of scrutiny of every issue and i understand that it came on the back of Rassi Erasmus' hour-long um, video, I'll call it. Um, Is hour-long what? Video. What, and what was the um, word you were going to use before you went for video? It was going to be a rant because wasn't that what it was. Yeah. But um, yeah, so, um, but it worked for him. Um, but, it, but he had the officials second-guessing every single decision. And, mm. and so it just completely takes the sting out of any 
momentum in the game for one side or another, any interest levels at home where anticipation is heightened. There was none of that. And it just kind of plodded along. And we, you know, 80 minutes is quite a long time to give of an afternoon to watching something. No one has two hours of sport, you know, of sitting down watching um, when it's, you know, it's you watch NFL if you want to watch that. Um, and when you know that it's going to be in and out, in and out, mm. lots of breaks. That's mm. not what we watch rugby for. We watch it for, you know, high minutes in uh, of ball in play. And to think that there's such a differential, the 12 minutes in the difference of ball in play between six nations, which sometimes gets a hard time of it, yeah. that it's quite, it can be quite negative. But when you compare the two, that is, that's an extraordinary stat and something that is, um, is concerning um, but this just felt like win at all costs. And maybe that was down to the lack of preparation. Maybe that was down to the circumstances that we're playing in at the moment that, you know, there hasn't been the time to be able to put a more cohesive game plan from both sides perspective, you know, particularly the South Africans with their lack of game time. So it just felt as though we got the worst version of what we expected we might get. Um, but yet it, it, it ultimately was about the winning of a series and South Africa got that done. So they'll they'll be happy with it and their crowd won't. I don't know, will their supporters be happy the manner in which they won it? I don't think that they'd care, will they? No, I don't. That doesn't seem to be the sense. And they're all on, you know, they're all part of Razzie's army. And I mean, it, it is about winning it. And for them, it crowns off this incredible achievement of World Cup and line series. You don't bring on a 37-year-old at out half to build for the future. This was the you know, full stop on the last couple of years. So I think they're they're thrilled and they came from a test down, which is kind of an impressive thing to do. Does Razzie emerge outside of South Africa and, and amongst the rugby fraternity now with his reputation massively diminished because of that? Or what's your sense of that whole saga? Probably not because they managed to, because it was, it, it would be perceived by many as a masterstroke that they managed to get um, more of the decisions that, that, that went against them in the first test and they've managed to turn it around and it is results-based business and how do you get the best results what what you do in the prelude to getting the results doesn't really matter provided you get the results and there will be some people that will be you know and i would be included in that group that i would a little bit of a bad taste left in my mouth because of the manner in which he did it and it felt like it was a break away from what you know the respect that that we would expect in rugby, um, particularly with our referees. So for me, that's disappointing. But ultimately, I think that will be forgotten because he's managed to back up a World Cup winning um, team two years ago with a Lions series win with little or no rugby. So um, you've got to tip your cap to him that he's still managed to achieve that. A last point on the refereeing, because it's been such a focus in this tour. I don't remember in your playing days the referee being the object of such focus and analysis and discussion. Like, I don't want to watch rugby if I need to have Nigel Owens on as one of the co-coms in future. Like, this is not where we need to be going with the sport at all. That's not against Nigel Owens, by the way. I just mean a former referee in the commentary box. Like, no kid is tuning in to hear Nigel and Will Greenwood break down the latest decision at length. It's just really boring. And the conversation between the TMO and the referees, like I said, 17 minutes in the second test, they need to tighten this right up. Um, like there was, there was, there must have been six, seven, eight, nine replays at times on some of the decisions. 
That's ridiculous. Yeah. Is that, that's the that ra- is ridiculous. That, isn't that the Razzie pressure to an extent, do you think, this time Probably, around? probably, yeah. But even in the, you know, for the Ches and Colby try, that took an eternity. Yeah. How many times off um, Jasper Visa, whether the ball came off his shoulder and whether it was batted backwards, and oh, it was countless. Yeah. You know, you've got to make those decisions in three viewings, max, and get on with it. Yes. And for the for 95% of those decisions, you'll get them right. And the other one, there'll be a bit of ambiguity around that other 5%. And maybe very occasionally, you may get one wrong or perceived to get wrong wrong by 50% you know, percent of the viewership or whatever. But who cares? There's talking points. That's what used to happen back in the good old days as well, mm. um, before any TMO decisions. So, um, for you know, which is the lesser of two evils? Well, definitely that um, getting one wrong rather than the mundane nature of constantly watching replay after a replay as the lads are trying to keep themselves warm because they haven't played for three or four minutes. Yeah, not to mention, and we'll talk about it at a future date. All the scrum resets and how long it's all taking. And I heard. Um, your old teammate Rob Carney make a great point on Five Live after the game because they were talking about the TMO situation and he said one of the other reasons they're going to need to speed this up is because now with the real you know crackdown on any collisions with the head just in in the pursuit of that there there are more TMO decisions to look at like did the shoulder touch the head those kind of moments are happening more and more and it's very hard to advocate against that so God anywhere you can clean up TMO stuff it's got to it's but got the to relationship the relationship between referee and TMO is going to become more and more important yes. and they need to partner TMOs with referees potentially going forward where they, you know, they will understand, you know, what the referee will really be looking out for, what they're hot on. Um, and, and listen, TMOs only come in for foul play or for try scoring instances, right? Yeah. But that a referee can have that quiet word to the TMO going, check that, check that. Yes. And that, a team that was able to do that quickly and go, no, 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 fine, play on, play on. Let's not, there's no need to stop anything. And there's, that's going on. But I think that only happens with, with longer term relationships if they do partner TMOs with someone that they're comfortable with and they kind of have a good flow to the way they work together. Yes, yes. Well, look, I suspect in 12 years when they're showing Lions South Africa matches again, I'd say expect to see yourself rather than the 2021 games replayed. <laughs> At length, somehow. I'm not sure, like, the second... So there might be a gig in South Africa in 12 years' time. You're still hot property. You're still hot property. (laughs) The class of 2021 have set you up. Oh, my God. Um, There's (laughs) there's one last tweet in. Can you ask Brian to give us the two, three, four best players of the series, either side? Um, Lacanya Am for... um, for South Africa, he's gone up. My definitely gone up in my um, opinion. Of I thought he was a nice player, but I think he's a very, very clever player. And um, Robbie Henshaw, I thought, I thought was very, very good um, throughout the three Test matches. Um, you know, nearly dragged uh, the Lions across the advantage line a few times in that third Test. Um, Maro Toji obviously got player of the series. I thought she was a, a constant pest and phenomenal in that first Test in, in particular. Um, and then one more South African. Um, I think I think Mostart got through a hell of a lot of work, um, be it at second row and and at um, and at seven, their their six, their blind side, um, with a smash nose, you know, for good measure as well. Mm. But just picking up where Peter Steph to toy left off, you could have been a big hole left there. But I thought he was very very impressive over the course of of the three tests as well. So. Um, there's four for you. 
Perfect. Well, listen, our Lions coverage was brought to you in association with Vodafone lead partner, the British and Irish Lions. Brian, great stuff. Thanks so much. Cheers, Joe. Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, lead partner of the British and Irish Lions. 